Father, we thank you today that in your presence as your people, we love to declare our praise to you, Jesus, because, Lord, you died on the cross for us, paying for our sin. You rose from the dead for, for us, victorious over the grave forevermore. And we thank you, Jesus, that on this day, we are privileged to give you praise and declare that Calvary has covered it all. Every eventuality of our lives is covered. Covered. You've covered it all, Jesus. You've left nothing undone. Everything was completed in your death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And we thank you that you are seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Your word declares, and we believe it, and you have been given already. You've been given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and even under the earth, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We thank you as every moment passes. We are moving to the consummation where that moment will come to pass and we will all be there bowing our knee, confessing with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, and we will hear every devil in hell declare it, and every angel in heaven too. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, and we just thank you for it because eternity will not be long enough for us to sing your praise and shout our hallelujahs to your name. We want to thank you. We want to praise you as your people. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Why don't we just thank our musicians this morning as well. What a blessing they have been to us. Do you know... Um, as we were just singing in the first service, I was thinking about those words that the Apostle Paul said at the end of Romans chapter 7. He came to an awful question in his life, seeing his own sinfulness, seeing his own, his, his own past, and all of his life's history, a question, a condemning question rose in his mind. And this was the question. You can read about it in Romans chapter 7 at the end of it. He says this, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Who will deliver me from this life history that is so sinful and so condemning? Who is it? And suddenly the moment comes when God in all of his fullness reveals the answer to him and the answer is in the saving power of Jesus Christ. He says, it's Jesus who delivers me and then suddenly he goes into Romans 8. 
Concluding this, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the one who saves us from sin's power. Jesus is the one that releases death's hold over us and gives us eternal life. And Paul the Apostle had a wonderful revelation of this life in Christ Jesus. And this morning, if you want a title for the message, what we're going to be speaking about is new life in Christ, because that's what you get. New life in Christ Jesus when you place your faith and your trust in Him. New life in Him. This new life in Jesus that we are given by simply placing our faith and our trust in, in Him means that we are forgiven. Sin's hold and its curse has been removed. Our new life in Christ means that we have peace with God. Oh, the moment when peace entered my life at 15 years of age in a field, in a tent, I simply prayed a prayer. I simply called on the name of the Lord with simple faith, 15 years of age. And suddenly flooded by peace. What was that? Peace with God, a restored relationship and a new union with Him. I'm 51 now. I know that I don't look any older than 65. But you know what? From the moment of being 15 all the way down to being 51, that peace has never left me. Sometimes I've left it. But I'm telling you now, this relationship that we have with God in Christ Jesus is real. It's real. It's an experience. And it's, a, it's an unfolding experience that gathers momentum, that gets greater and more abundant as every moment passes. Yes, life has its ups and downs. Yes, life it's hard sometimes, and there's valley experiences like we all know, but there's something about life now as a result of having a wonderful relationship with God that is glorious. It really is. It's real. It's, it's, it's in our experience. We have peace with God, and also we have boldness to come before God's throne to obtain mercy in time of need, open access 24-7. Prayer is not a drudgery. Prayer is not a bore anymore. It's an invitation to intimacy, fellowship, and union with your Creator God in heaven. Exciting. We have boldness to come. And also this new life that we have in Christ means that we are moving towards the ultimate completion of our lives being exactly like Him. Conforming to His very image and His likeness and His character. New life we've received in Jesus Christ. Paul said, when encouraging believers at Corinth, he says, guess what? I'm going to let you into a secret. As a result of Jesus being in your life, old things 
have passed away. They've, they're gone. They're gone. Behold, all things about you have become brand new. You're brand new. You're a brand new crea- uh, creature in Christ. A brand new species of being. That's actually what it means. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at Romans chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul shows us just in one verse how Christ Jesus made this new life possible. Paul shows us why Jesus died on the cross and what happened when he rose from the dead victorious over death and the grave forever. I want you to listen carefully just to this one line. It's a very short verse, but Paul encapsulates within these few words everything that Jesus achieved on the cross in his death and in his resurrection. Listen to it carefully. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says this, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Listen to it again. Paul's words are very important and we have to listen to them carefully because it's an incredible statement that he's making centering on Jesus' sacrifice for our lives so that we might be free and acquitted of all sin and given new life in him. Romans chapter 4 verse 25. Jesus who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Paul is saying something very important that he wants us to catch hold of. Paul is saying something, revealing something that has great bearing and great impact for all of our lives. All of us who have placed our trust in Christ Jesus. These words have such a weight and a bearing for our experience of life in Him. Now, thousands of years before Paul wrote these words to believers in Rome, Job questioned God by saying in Job chapter 9, verse 2, how... Can a man be justified or made righteous before God? To Job, this was a troubling question. He didn't have any answers for the question that he held in his heart. You see, Job was well aware of his sinful condition. Job was aware of all of the personal failures that was stacked against his life. Job was aware of his sinful history. Job, like us, battled with accusations. Accusations that would flood his mind, causing guilt and shame. Job had a sinful life history, just like you and me. 
and he couldn't see from his experience how he could ever be righteous, ever be pure, ever be justified in the sight of a holy God. Job had plenty of evidence about his sinful history, like you and I. So he had no answer. In light of the evidence against his life, Job had no answer as to how he could ever separate himself from his sin, how he could ever walk in a new life that was different from his sinful history. He had no answer, and he was troubled by this question because it was hanging over his life. How can a man, he says, be justified or made righteous before God? It's an important question, a question that he needed an answer for, a question that we need an answer for, and a question that Paul needed an answer for and got an answer for. And that he deals with in this chapter in Romans. You see, in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul answers the age-old question once and for all as to how men and women can be justified and made righteous before God. He answers this age-old question of how and he shows us how it's answered fully in the finished work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now this morning, I want us, for the time that we have left, to look at this word and a, a number of other words that are very important. This word justification that Paul uses here in verse 25 that we've read. And sometimes there's big words in our Bibles that we pass by because we don't understand them. But these words have great meaning, great impact for all of our lives. It's like opening a treasure chest when you open some of these words that are in the writings of the Bible. And they're very important and you, you unpack them and you open them and you see that they're full of rich wealth for your life. Such is this word justification. It's a big word that often is passed by because we don't understand its meaning. But when you do truly understand its meaning, the impact of this on your mind on your conscience, on the way that you live and experience life is wonderful. It has immense meaning, and that's why Paul takes it up and uses it when he is wanting to encourage and establish believers in the church at Rome. Justification, this word, is a judicial term that a judge would use when pronouncing his final verdict to close a case in court. When Paul uses this word justification in verse 25, he's showing us that our lives, each and every one of our lives in Christ Jesus, have been examined and judged already in Christ Jesus. 
A verdict has already been passed over your life and pronounced that can't be changed forever. You might not be aware of that today, but your life has already been examined. A verdict has already been pronounced and passed in the courts of heaven. It's a verdict that stands forever, that can never, ever be changed. When God talked about the essence of his character in the Old Testament, he said this about himself, I am the Lord. I change not. When God makes a pronouncement, when God declares a verdict, let me tell you, it cannot change. It stands forever. He's very different to you and I. He really is. We might make a promise, and by Tuesday, we're struggling to keep it. And by Wednesday, it's fallen flat on its face. But when God declares something... It holds fast forever. It can never change. Hallelujah. And God's pronounced a verdict over your life. There's a sentence being passed as your life has been examined and inspected in Christ Jesus. God in all of his holiness. God in all of his justice. The God of all the earth has judged our lives. In Christ Jesus. And the verdict and the pronouncement that has been made on your life as a result of being in Christ Jesus is contained in one word. That one word is this. Justified. Justified. Now it's important that we know what that means. Because it has great, great impact and blessing For all of us, this is the unchanging legal declaration that God has made over our lives forever that can never be changed. It's not because we deserve it. We don't. It's not because we've earned it or merited it because we haven't. It's all because Calvary covers it all. It's all because Jesus, our Savior, suffered, bled, and died on the cross. And brought about our salvation and new life in him. So let's look at this word justification because there's two very important areas. Two very important aspects for us to understand about This word and about this pronouncement and about this verdict over your life. Now remember, God is talking about you. Paul is talking about you in his letter. So it's important that we understand these two aspects of this verdict that has been pronounced over your life forever. Okay? The first aspect of this Word justified means God has declared that you are not guilty. All of the evidence about your life has been collected in the court of heaven. The supreme judge, the righteous judge 
of all the earth has scrutinized, examined, and calculated all of the evidence about your life. And because your life is in Christ Jesus and not outside of him, God inspects your life through Christ and you come out not guilty. Not guilty. Pardoned from any penalty of sin. Innocent, pure, just as if, listen, you'd never sinned. That is the work. That, that is how thorough this work is and how powerful Jesus' death on the cross was. Just as if you've never sinned. Freed from the penalty, not guilty. We are not guilty because Paul declares, listen, it's all in the words that he uses in this verse. Verse 25, Paul declares, Christ died for our offenses. Christ died for our offenses. Every offense that you've committed, every wrongdoing, all of the sin, the, what you know of, what you don't know of, it's all been calculated and amassed and taken in one moment and placed on the body of Jesus as he hung on the cross and God served the penalty that you were due, that I was due on Christ Jesus and placing our faith in that suddenly the verdict, the pronouncement of it is not guilty. Paul Marshall, not guilty. Noel Corley, not guilty. Faye Edwards, not guilty. Steve Davis, Tony Davis, Laura Davis, all Steve Blair, not guilty. Not guilty. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are. Not guilty. Pardoned from sin. No impending punishment from the judge of all the earth. Paul answers the question. How a man can be made righteous, how a man can be justified, not through his own work, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He died for our offenses. Romans chapter 3 verse 24, Paul tells us that our justification has not been earned. It's not been worked for. It's not merited by what we can do. It's freely given to us as a result of God's grace. Listen to what he says, verse 24, Romans 3. Being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You can't earn this. No work counts towards it or warrants it, we are justified freely, pardoned freely by God. What kind of love is this? On an unimaginable level, it's love divine, excelling all other loves. We are justified freely by His grace. It's not based on a point system. You know, you've got to stack up your points and how faithful you've been. And, well, I don't know if I've been good or bad. And, 
I don't know if I'm going forward today or backwards. No, it's not based on what we do or any kind of points scheme. It takes immediate effect the moment that you place simple faith in Jesus. Immediate effect. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you took the weight of my sin that I couldn't separate myself from and judgment came upon you as a result of you dying on the cross for me. I believe that Jesus in the simplicity of my faith, I accept it, justified, pardoned, not guilty in the court of heaven. So justification is a declaration by God regarding our standing before him. We are not guilty, innocent of any charge, free of all shame. Now, if that was all it was, I'm up for that. I'm thinking, man, if, if, if this is what it's about, I am rich. I, I don't have any fear of being punished by God. I'm now considered before him in his sight as innocent, not guilty. Thanks very much. This is fantastic. I'll take that. Oh no, but there's more. There's more. It's not just that. And that would be enough for all of us. Just not being under the fear of being punished alone would be everything. But there is more in this word. And that's why Paul uses it. Because not only does God declare you and I righteous, uh, declare you and I not guilty, innocent, and pardoned from any penalty due to us, God actually declares that you and I are righteous. Righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul talks about this righteousness that we have received. It's not a righteousness of our own. It's the very righteousness of God. Listen to what he says, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. He says this, God made him Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul, through his letter in Romans, has already established the fact that there is none righteous. No, not one, he says. Outside of Christ, it's impossible for us to ever enter into a right relationship with God. But suddenly, he comes with this most glorious news as a result of Jesus dying and rising and ascending into heaven. He comes with this glorious news. We can actually become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus now. As we place our faith and our trust in him. You no longer have any right to your guilt and shame. You no longer have any rights, any legal rights to be depressed or despondent about life. Your rights to feel guilty, your rights to feel shameful have been taken away and disarmed 
through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. If you choose to feel guilty, if you choose to feel ashamed, you're momentarily stepping out of the wonderful, glorious provision that Christ has provided for you in Him. You don't have to step out of this wonderful life or I that he has provided for us. No right to feel guilty, no right to feel ashamed, no right to look back on your past and hang your head down and feel all of those old emotions. No, you're brand new in Christ Jesus. You're saved by his grace. You're pardoned. You're innocent before him. And like Paul assures us, when he used this wonderful word, you have been made righteous. That's the pronouncement. That's the verdict. That's the summary of your life for time and all eternity that has been pronounced in heaven as a result of what Jesus Christ has done for us and our trust in him. But the obvious question that always comes up is how? How? How can a God who cannot lie pronounce me and you innocent? And more than that, how can he pronounce that we are the recipients of his own righteousness? When it's more than obvious as you walk through life, we're not. We're not righteous. We're not innocent. We sometimes live a sinful experience. Well, the answer to that question, that age-old question that Job asked, that Paul asked, is in another important word within the Bible. And especially in Romans 4. It's the word imputation. Imputation is another vital word that we have to understand, like a little treasure chest that you open and you see all of this wealth within it for your life. It occurs in Romans chapter 4 11 times, and in these 11 times it's translated in different ways through different words that mean the same thing. Words like counted, accounted, reckoned and credited. So to begin to understand the full meaning of this word imputation, we need to look at its literal meaning. If justification is a term that's taken from the law courts, imputation is a word that's taken from the world of accountancy. And literally, it means setting to one's account or reckoning something to a person. We could simply illustrate it like this. Let's say that my bank account is way overdrawn. I've mismanaged my finances, lived recklessly, and I've accrued a mountain of debt that I can never pay. All of the 
money and the finances that come into my account are swallowed up to pay this endless debt. I'm overdrawn, without hope, without any answer. The debt is far beyond my ability to repay. And looking to myself, there's no possible hope. Looking to my own means, looking to my own power, there's no possibility of me ever changing my financial state. But then, somebody comes along, a wealthy donor. Somebody sees my, my state of life and they see my account that it's way overdrawn. It's way beyond my ability to make the repayments for the debt that I've incurred because of a reckless life. And they have compassion on me. And they transfer all of their wealth for all of my debt. All of their wealth via a bank transfer comes into my account and all of my liabilities and all of my, my reckless living and all of the huge mountain of debt that I've incurred in my life is transferred over into their account. Legally, they have imputed everything that they own over to me there's been an exchange of wealth and my deficit, my poverty has been exchanged and transferred into their account. This is exactly what Paul is referring to when he uses this word justification. This is one of the meanings. And this is how we have become the righteousness of God. Because there's been an exchange. There's been a transfer. God has imputed his righteousness into our lives. There's been a wonderful balance transfer. Where we, the debtor, have received untold riches, untold wealth forever. You have been made righteous. He's taken hold of our accounts, holding infinite amounts of endless debt that had to be judged by the law of God. And he took it upon himself and he imputed all of the endless wealth of an eternal life into our accounts so that we become the recipients of new life and endless blessing. Paul talks about this great exchange in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He's describing what happens in this wonderful transfer where our sin is imputed to Christ and his new life and righteousness is imputed to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says this, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. And again, 
in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, Paul shows us that our poverty was imputed to Christ, making us the beneficiaries of his exceeding riches. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. Do you know one of the final cries of Jesus from the cross before he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit was one word. Finished! In your Bibles, it's three words. But in the Greek, it's one word. Finished! The greatest word spoken by the greatest man on the greatest day of all eternity. One word that changed history and the destiny of mankind forever. The sin debt was finished. Another literal meaning of that word finished is this. Paid in full. Completely paid. We owed a debt that we could not pay. Christ paid a debt that he did not owe. All of the funds necessary to pay for our total salvation were put up by Jesus Christ on the cross forever. He took my bankruptcy and covered it all. He didn't just make a down payment and then expect you and I to keep up with the installments. He paid in full. He finished the work. There is no more debt to be paid. Jesus finished it on the cross and then rose from the dead to certify it and to make it a reality in our lives. It is finished was not the cry of defeat from a dying man on the cross, but the cry of total victory, the cry of total triumph, as all debts for mankind before God were forever paid. C.H. Spurgeon remarked that the general religion of mankind is to do. But the revelation of Christ's finished work is done, not do, done. If you look at any world religion outside of Christ, you'll always see at the heart of them all is an, es a, a, an, an incessant need to do, to do. Now, our good works are done as a result of what Jesus has finished. No, it's done. It's finished. It's complete in him, paid in full. And then finally, how should we live as a result of what's been done? 
how now should we live as a result of what Jesus has finished on the cross? Well, Paul tells us how we should live in light of this resurrection, in light of this new life that we have within him. And he returns to another important word, the word reckon. And again, this word is taken from the world of accountancy. He says that we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin. He's saying, as a result of all that's happened, collect all the evidence about yourself. Come to a point of understanding and a knowing that you're not, you're not guilty. You're innocent before God. There's no penalty for sin anymore or punishment of it for you to pay. It's been paid by Jesus. And you are free. You are redeemed. You are blood-bought. You are in right relationship with God. It's paid in full. Come to an understanding of that. When he uses this word reckon, He's imploring us and urging us to collect all the facts about what Jesus has done in relation to our lives. And he's saying, when you do that, you're going to live differently. You're not going to gravitate to sin anymore. You're not going to have any desire for it. Based on everything that Jesus has done, as you collect all the evidence, you're the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, as a result of that, in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says this, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I tell you something now, our natural tendency is not to gravitate to sin. We, in, in this very chapter, Romans chapter 6, do you know what he says? Sin has no dominion over you. Sin has no more governance over your life. Sin no longer is the ruling master over your life. Yes, we have a flesh, but we also have a cross to crucify it on. Hallelujah. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Sin no longer has governance over your life. Sin no longer is the ruling master over you. Now collect all the evidence as a result of what Jesus has done in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. You have been justified. You are innocent. You have been made the righteousness of God. Reckon it to your life. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. Oh, thank you, God. You live a new life because you're alive to him. It's open fellowship. A walk with him. Hallelujah. It really is. We walk with him. We talk with him. As the hymn says, along life's narrow way. We walk with him. We talk with him. I used to hear that hymn as a kid. Along life's narrow way. What a joy. Creation is now in touch with her creator. Hallelujah. Open fellowship we have with God. Amen.
Amen. I'm going to pray right now. And remember, as we go from this place today, we walk in new life. Not heavy-hearted, bound by the past. The enemy would want to take our minds back to the past, to failure and to sin and to things that we've done and accuse us. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done Yeah, we know we shouldn't have done it. Hold our hands up. We need a Savior. You might take your mind back when you leave today just to things that have happened this week. Well, there's only one thing to say to him when he does that. You've got to be honest. Important. Not guilty. Got to be honest. You've got to tell him you're not guilty. You see, that's how God sees you. When he brings up all of that stuff, you've got you to just tell him, sorry, I'm innocent. My case has already been judged. The evidence has already been examined by the supreme judge of all the earth. I'm justified. I'm righteous. Rub that in his face in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You've got to be honest. You've got to be truthful. That the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all sin. That's what John says. Oh my God, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Don't let that accuser hang around your life any longer. You've got no right to those guilty feelings. You've got no right to bury your head in depression. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength as a result of who you are. In Christ Jesus, we reckon ourselves dead to sin, alive to God. Sin has no governance. Sin has, is not going to be dominant in our lives. We place our trust in Him. Amen. Now, we don't say we're without sin. Otherwise, we deceive ourselves. The Bible tells us that. But, listen, and I might get to this next week. Let me tell you this now, right? When Jesus came, everything about Jesus is servant-hearted. Everything about him. Everything. Came to this earth and he said this, I've come to serve, not to be served. And he came. Not for those who were healthy, but for those who were sick. And he died on the cross as Savior. He came to give his life to save. Do you know what he does in heaven now? He's not just sitting around doing nothing. The Bible says he's taken up the role of advocate. Advocate. Not condemner, not accuser. No, when you're, when you're going through it and you feel accused and you feel downcast, Jesus is your advocate. He speaks on your behalf and he speaks better things. This new covenant of his grace. He is the advocate on your behalf. He really is. And the Holy Spirit here is your helper as you're going through this journey of life. And Jesus is intercessor. Hallelujah. Every element and every aspect of your life, he takes up to himself. And he pleads before the throne of grace. 
for better things over all of us. Amen. Amen. I'm going to pray. And then you may be here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart. This meeting might be a little strange to you, the songs that we've sung and, you know, even some of the things that I've said, you might not understand. Do you know when I was 15 years of age, I sat in a tent in a field and a man, just like I'm doing now, spoke very simply and said, Jesus loves you. If you want to ask him into your heart, be freed from your sin and the pain in your heart and have peace for that hole in your life that you're trying to fill. Why didn't you ask Jesus into your heart? Do you know what? At 15 years of age, I said, I need this. I mean, even at 15 years of age, I knew that there was a big hole inside that needed filling that I couldn't fill. And suddenly, I, I, I said it. I was moved to tears. Oh, please forgive me of my sin. I know it. I'm a sinner. I stole Johnny's bike the other week. Yeah. I stole his bike and I did this and I did that. And, and even at 15, not only were people hurting me, but I was hurting them. Why? Just by nature, I'm a sinner. 15 years of age, I acknowledged it. Please, please, I know it. I know it. I'm just bad. I'm going on a wrong road. My head's messed up. And my life's messed up. Please, please. Do you know what? He heard it. He heard it. He'll hear a 15-year-old kid in a tent that's got nothing but destruction ahead of him, and he'll save it. And you know, life hasn't been easy, as you can see. <laughs> it's been a bit hard sometimes, but you know, he's never left me. He's never left me, and even in my lowest moments. Right? I'm 51 years of age now. I know I look 72. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. A little kid came up to me the other week, right? I said, it's my birthday today. Oh, really? They said, how old are you? I said, do you know what? I'm going to let you guess. Dangerous thing. Do you know what they said? 68, sir. I said, very good. You're very clever. No, life hasn't always been easy. But you know, I tell you now, there's a life inside that won't let me go. It won't let me go. It won't let you go either. You're going to ask Jesus into your heart. Listen, you haven't got to understand everything. You have, you're going to ask Jesus into your heart. And miracles are going to begin. You're going to place your faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. For all the stuff you've done. Thank God for that. You don't ever have to face God with fear if you place your faith in Christ. Why? Because you're saying that Jesus was judged for your sin. And you are acquitted and pardoned in his presence. I'm going to pray right now for you as God's people, and then I'm going to pray for anyone privately. This is a private thing, but it'll become very public in the months to come as the Holy Ghost lives inside you. You won't be able to hide him, you little tinker. I'm going to pray for you, but let's pray together as God's people and thank God for his wonderful provision in Christ Jesus. Father, I thank you for your wonderful people. Lord, they are your people. They are chosen by you. Jesus, you said, I chose you. You did not choose me. You, choose, you chose us with all of the complexities that are within us and all of the failure and all of the sin and all of the mess that we go through sometimes. You chose us. 
to save us and to redeem us and to make us your own, your people, your church. And Lord, I thank you for your people today. I pray a wonderful blessing of your presence over them this Easter. And Lord, I pray that we would know the presence of your Holy Spirit assuring us we are not guilty. We are pardoned of all sin. We are innocent. That we never have to have the fearful expectation of judgment before you. Why? Because we've already been examined and judged by you in your courtroom in heaven. And the pronouncement eternally over our lives is justified, not guilty, righteous before God. I pray that we would understand it, live in the blessing of it. And know the freedom of it in our life experience so that we might be that city on a hill in this dark city of Newport and the region of South Wales. We pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I'm going to pray. You want to ask Jesus into your heart right now, your life is going to change. You might be looking for peace at the bottom of a bottle and never finding it. I tell you, peace is a person. It's a person. You might go from relationship to relationship and your life might look like a train wreck. I tell you, let peace, the person, Jesus, come into your heart. Everything will change. Pray this prayer. It's a simple prayer, nothing magical about it, but you're going to place your faith in Jesus Christ, in his finished work on the cross, and a miracle is going to begin. Pray right now. Say this. Quietly in your heart, not out loud. Say this, Jesus, I call on your name. Save me from sin. I believe you died on the cross. You took my punishment. You took the penalty for my sin. You were judged for it so that I might go free. I accept that you died for me, I believe that you rose from the dead on the third day. And now today you are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. I want to be connected to you from this day forward. I want to know you as my Savior, as my Lord, as my friend. I ask you now, and I open my heart, to receive your wonderful Holy Spirit who will be my helper from this moment on as I walk each and every day through this life. Thank you for peace. Right now, peace is coming into your heart. Right now. Right now, you'll know it. You'll know it. This is real. This is so, so real. And faith and trust, the same faith that gives you confidence to sit on the seat that you sat on, opens your heart to Jesus, and he comes on in. Peace, for the first time, will come into your heart, and you will live in a new living relationship with him. And all God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, you're here this morning. We would love to give you maybe your first Bible. And a little magazine that our church has produced from members of our congregation who have seen God do incredible things, answered their prayers in remarkable ways. We'd love to put that in your hand this morning. 
so you can take away. And you can read it. And if you'd like some help with it, we would love to be on this journey with you. Why don't you make this your, your, your home church? Or if you're not local, listen, find a good church that preaches the Word of God that will look after you and care for you. Or if you're watching online, you prayed this prayer this morning, asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. This is the greatest day of your life. Details on the screen. You'll see them. Why don't you send us an email? And we will count it a privilege to send you that Bible and that magazine that we've produced. And listen, if you've got any questions or any needs that you might need help with, just drop us a line. Chat with one of, the, one of our stewards or welcome team. And if we can help you in any way in your journey with Jesus, we would love to be a part of that. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to sing. Noel's going to lead us before we go. And listen, as you go from this place today, in this new life that Jesus has provided, why don't you just share this glorious news to others who will come into, who you'll come into contact with next week, your workplace, your family, others that have never experienced this wonderful new life in Christ. Listen, you're the light. You're the light in their dark world. God bless you as you go today. God bless you.